Grapple fans, it's time once again for two different generations of professional wrestling fans to go through the back catalogue of required viewing in the eyes of one Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer, as myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host, Cross, work our way through every match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or even higher, and we are all the way into 1989, June of that year, and for the first time since January... And we didn't get to watch that match, so this is the first All Japan match of 19... 19- okay. And we're going to be watching Jumbo Saruta, no longer tagging with Genichiro Tenru, as we had in an earlier match in the series, Episode 6, where they took on the invading army of Riki Choshu and Yoshiaki Yatsu. They are now facing off against each other against the recently created Triple Crown Championship that is up for grabs. Simon, what is your awareness of the Triple Crown? What do you know of it? Um, I've always like compared it to the Stanley Cup in my head. It's just like massively oversized trophy. It, it's that. It, oh, that's part of it. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's usually uh, the winner of the Triple Crown, if my understanding is correct, then gets a shot at least in recent memory, at the IWGP title. No, is that no, correct? I'm mixing things up. Entirely. I'm mixing things up. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the, basically, the Triple Crown, the, 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 it's a weird thing in J- Japanese promotions and their titles. Very often they like to have them win titles that started off elsewhere. Like, for the longest time, the junior heavy... Well, not for the longest time, but for a while, the junior heavyweight title that was being fought over in the 80s, uh, the early 80s, between the likes of... Um, uh, Dynamite Kid, the Cobra, and possible and Tiger Mask as well was the WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship. And what the Triple Crown essentially is is three different championships that were in active use at some point throughout the fifties through to the eighties. The NWA International Heavyweight Championship, the PWF Heavyweight Championship, and the NWA United National Championship. Each having their own lineage, their own importance, their own significance to Japanese wrestling and all Japan wrestling. The NWA International Championship is probably the most interesting one. In that it was essentially a championship created for Luthers after he dropped the NWA World Heavyweight Championship because he wanted to uh, take more title, um, defend the title more often in Japan. So they wouldn't allow him to do that, so we dropped the NWA World Heavyweight title, and they essentially created the international title for him to defend. But he did lose fairly fairly quickly on. And then it uh, really became the main title of uh, the JWA, the Japanese Wrestling Association, because it was won by Ricky Dozan. Fez claimed it wasn't for the title. Um, (laughs) Doesn't count. Fez held it for just under a year, and then Ricky Dozan held it for... 2,302 days. The belt was uh, vacated following his death, and then it was held, for the most part, by uh, it was held by Giant Baba during the rest of the um, late mid to late 60s. Then when Baba left to form All Japan, it was then held by Kintaro Oki, who was a Korean wrestler, who was sort of the... Uh, who took the belt over after the JWA uh, closed and then took it to South Korea, where he was the biggest star, and he would make tours of all Japan as well. 
Um, then he finally vacated the title under orders of the NWA, and then it became uh, an All Japan belt pretty quickly, uh, where Dory Funk Jr. won it, and then it was traded between him and Bruiser Brody, and then Jumbo Saruta claimed it in 83, and he traded it with Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody as well. And then he unified it with the PWF Heavyweight Championship and the NWA United National Championship. The United National Championship was kind of like the, the intercontinental title to the international titles, world title, uh, when it was won in the 70s. It was held by... Saruta held that before he then moved on to the international title. And it was Tenru who won the... Um, the United National title. He won it from David Von... Well, he was supposed to win it from David Von Erich, but Von Erich unfortunately died, and so he won it off Ricky Steamboat instead. Um, they wanted him to win it from Von Erich, because at that point Von Erich was thought to be a future NWA World Heavyweight title. They could say, look, this was a belt that we beat the world champion for. Uh, okay. And finally, the PWF Championship. I've just got to get that up right now. That was another title that was held in... It was essentially... Yeah, it was... Um, it was essentially the top belt of, of all Japan before they claimed the NWA International and United National titles. It was held by Giant Baba from 1973 to 1978. And he also held... Again, he held, he held it for the majority. He had one reign of 1,920 days. Then after a brief uh, trading round of the belt, he won it back off Abdullah the Butcher and held it for another 1,354 days. Traded it with <laughs> Stan Hansen a few times. And then Stan Hansen traded with Tenru and Saruta. And so it was all these different championships that, you know, it's kind of like, I guess it's kind of like unifying the Universal Championship and the World Championship. It just solidifies this guy is the champ of this promotion. Sort of like ties all the strands together, effectively. Yeah, yeah. And so that was, for the next 25 years, the old, the Triple Crown Champion, as well as lifting that big-ass trophy at the end of it, if they had the energy, um, would also, would carry three belts around with them. <clears throat> Um, and like I said, when Kijimuto won it in 2001, he ended up walking around with six belts for a brief period of time. Like an armadillo. In 2013, they finally abandoned that and redesigned a, a single belt where the central plate, I believe, was the international title, was meant to symbolize the international title. And okay. the two side plates represent the PWF and United National titles. But it's so so that's what the Triple Crown is. It was all Japan's equivalent of the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And I think the majority of people would argue that during the 90s, it was of higher value than the IWGP title. It was defended in longer matches, better matches as far as Dave Meltzer is concerned, because there's a fuck ton of Triple Crown matches that we've got to cover in this, and Nari and IWGP Heavyweight won for quite a long time. Because um, like we said, you know, this is an era, we're coming into an era where the Three Musketeers started to dominate, and we've had our three musketeer match already yeah. um so what we have now is and, and this really is what laid the groundwork for it that this defined what a triple crown championship match was which is what we're having here with tenru and saruta and that is just so they sort of lay the groundwork for what became known as a style of wrestling separate to strong style which became called king's road which many people argue is actually more what a lot of wrestlers who are said to be strong style are actually more in line with, uh, but the the term King's Road kind of died out. Although I remember Samoa Joe referencing it in a tweet a while ago, um, sort of saying, "I'm not strong style, I'm King's Road." 
What's the main like sort of difference between the two styles? Would you well, say I've, one thing you can say is strong style matches seem to be very often a lot shorter. If you look at the IWGP Heavyweight Title matches, they're usually around the sub twenty minute mark, and strong style is a lot more about um, strikes and fighting and the sense of a, of a martial arts, which is always what Antonio Inoki envisioned it. Whereas the All Japan uh, matches, the King's Road style, is a lot more psychology-based, a lot longer. Um, eventually, like, head drops started to become a major factor in it, but the strikes are of less importance, as it is power moves like power bombs and, and lariats. And, and, there's, and there's more intricate structure to it. Like, there's significance behind what moves are being used, what moves are used to finish off an opponent's. And there's like a, a very clear tiering system, you know? It's like there's murder, death, kill, finishing moves that wrestlers will do in all Japan that they will only do like five, six, seven times. Like, Kent Kobashi used his burning hammer move a grand total of, um, I think, something like eight times in his career. A move that everyone associates with him, but it was that sense of he's had to dust off the bloody, you know, he's got to dust off the bloody burning hammer move that means he's really serious this is what it's going to take to win that's literally like the doomsday option so there's a lot more there's kind of intricacy there's more emphasis on like selling working a body part and that might factor into the match later on it's more deeply psychology it's more deep psychology really is the honest truth which is one of the reasons why i think um dave Meltzer prefers these matches to the new japan matches that were going on the more depth of psychology and intricacy whereas new japan it's more just kind of a case of fight until one of you can't go on anymore which obviously is what a load, load of these matches are but it's not like they don't target a specific body part or they don't yeah you know you know what i mean and like i say the matches are shorter a lot more submission focused um yeah so that history lesson which has probably got a fair few inaccuracies within it and i look forward to your emails um <laughs> But let's get on to the match itself, which is Saruta against Tenru. Now, of course, we've seen them as tag team partners, but now they are separate. Um, man, they've gone their own ways. Saruta has his—he's sort of the leader of his group of wrestlers, and Tenru has his group of wrestlers that includes the likes of Toshaki Kawada, who we saw earlier in the Stan Hansen uh, Terry Gordy match. Uh, that was one of the—I uh, think I was the last All Japan match we might have covered. I'm not sure. Might misremember that. You right? Yeah, sorry, my Xbox has turned itself on for some reason, that's weird. Zuckerberg's getting me. And what's interesting, like I said, there's importance in Japan about the ranking of wrestlers. And now Saruta has, has taken over Giant Baba as sort of the top guy in the company. Baba now pretty much only does comedy matches at the start of shows. He doesn't fight for the belt. You know, he never challenges for the Triple Crown or anything like that. And Tenru is very much his number two and that's really the fundamental aspect of this match it seems to be a visible like the best in the promotion taking on the second best in the promotion and can the second best which is Tenru do enough to win the match and claim the triple crown which had only just been created a month earlier where Saruta unified the belts after beating Stan Hansen who uh, ah, makes a ringside appearance in the That's match. why Stan's at ringside. Well, Stan's well, basically like, that? I get dibs on the on the winner. <laughs> Just but also, like he is like an ally with Tenru at this point. I think they'd entered the world's strongest tag league either that year or the year after. Together. So they kind of 
kind of came to respect and, and align themselves with one another. And it's really like um, it's really shown right from the bell just how important this match is because uh, Jumbo just straight out of the gate just goes for his um, jumping knee. Yeah, there's a quick strike exchange. But even before the match, when they do a, I don't know if you saw it in the video, uh, but there was like. They were both interviewed just before the match, and they literally just like said one or two words and were just... So, so with something I always love with these All Japan matches, you see them before they make their entrance, sort of breathing heavily, trying to calm, keep themselves calm and focused for the match. Which is something I wish they did more often. WWF did that weirdly for... Um, when Shawn Michaels and Psycho Sid wrestled each other for the world title, I think both occasions, the Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble, they had them... You followed them as they were making their entrance from backstage. I just like that. I'm yeah, I mean, it's one of the, um, the most um, iconic one is obviously Goldberg's yeah. sort of entrance. And it does sort of add like a sense of... But that's like a rehearsal. This is more like we're, we're seeing them yeah, you know, it's like yeah. behind, behind it's less the current, scenes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like, like a lot of these uh, Japanese matches, it starts off with a really quick uh, strike exchange and Tenru getting two off of a German suplex. And then Jumbo Saruta gains control. And it's like a lot of... Whilst with the Steamboat and Flair matches, it was like they would fight back and the the, the, the flow would be a bit more... Not, not constant, but you know, like... Steamboat wouldn't regain control until hitting a few, like, a few failed attempts. Yeah. Whereas with this one, it's like one of them manages to catch the other one with a big move, and that switches the momentum. Like, uh, Jumbo Saruta hits a boot, um, then Tenru knocks Saruta out of the ring with a clothesline, and follows it up with a, with a, an attack off the apron, then Jumbo hits a belly-to-belly, like, and that's when the other person then takes control. So it's not like setting up to a big move. It's like a big move that sets up their portion of sets control. Up their the period, match. yeah. Mm. Um, a great example of that is they, um, when it sort of spills out into the ring and then um, Temru's like a shoulder tackled uh, Jumbo out of the ring, he then follows up with this like flying crossbody off the apron. Mm. And then that's when his period of dominance on the ground starts because he yeah. gets him back in. Goes for the knee bar. Did you starts notice, hammering away at him? Did you notice before then that Jumbo hit him with a boot so hard that it knocked the spit out of his mouth? Like yeah, a huge water spit comes flying out of Tenryu's mouth. I love mouth. that, and you can't. It's it's difficult. I don't know how easy it is. I'd love to know mm. how easy it is to like sort of create that moment. But when you just see a massive what load of gas just fly from one side of the ring to the other, I don't think Tenru expected it. I don't think Tenru no. was like, let's get this. What? <laughs> just in the corner. He ah. was just like, okay, Jumbo, what are we gonna? Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> Little heads up would have been nice. I also, at one point, Jumbo hits a really hard axe handle to the back of Tenru. It's like a really loud slapping sound. I, I never associate like an axe handle as a particularly harsh move. But no, I know what you mean. He just, it's right sort of like mm. dead centre in his yeah. spine as yeah, well. He yeah. doesn't like muck about with any side-on business. Jumbo really has, it's interesting because he wasn't a heel as far as, well, there weren't really heels in this time except for... No, like, they both get a Jumbo fairly good heel. reaction. But the crowd clearly does take to Tenru over Saruta, I think, because they just want the underdog to win. And it was interesting, Jumbo Saruta's reactions to it. He sort of plays to the fans, which is not something you necessarily associate with Japanese, where it's more about the sport and treating it as such, yeah. like, you know, him actually looking and playing with the fans. The one it actually a weird reminder of 
It reminded me of how The Rock played to the fans during SummerSlam 2002, where he was facing Brock Lesnar. And he was sort of confused and affronted that the fans were cheering Brock Lesnar over him. Which yeah, precipitated I mean, his heel turn when he came back as Hollywood Rock in 2003. Yeah, or sort of like the inverse of that, where you'd have Hollywood Hulk Hogan meant meaning to be the villain against The Rock at WrestleMania 18, and they sort of did like the inverse, where he was being cheered despite the fact his character was meant to be an arsehole. Uh, yeah, but Tim Roo's the clear underdog. At several points he's saved by putting his feet on the ropes. Uh, <laughs> You've got to think Saru would have better ring positioning after well, like, the then, first Well, that's attempt. the thing. Then Jumbo does a Thez press in the middle of the ring and then follows up with a backdrop suplex. And in both those instances, Tenru kicks out. So I think that's kind of saying maybe he's completely spent, but no, he is able to still will himself to kick out. But, you know, it's, yeah. you know I think that was the, the thinking behind it. And then okay. he turns one of those th- another Thez press attempt from Jumbo into a stun gun where he drops him on the top rope. Yeah. It's a really good looking move, yeah. Gets a fair bit of like whiplash off it as well, doesn't it? It's like mm. it bounces quite bad badly. So, so yeah, one of the things I note about triple crown matches is that they really do emphasize like an epicness. This one's about twenty minutes long, but as the as the decade goes on, they get longer and longer and longer. You get a few hour draws, but like you know, these ones involving, later ones involving Masawa, Kabashi, Kawada, they go 30, 35, 40, 45 minutes on a regular basis. So this is really kind of laying the foundations of what the Triple Crown would mean and what the what the matches of a Triple Crown match become. Um, and, and the exhaustion and that is played off because like Jumbo uh, falls exhausted when he attempts a belly-to-belly suplex later on in the match. Yeah. And, um, yeah, go on, sorry. No, I was going to say, um, you're right, because it's just a case of Jumbo, he doesn't get like frustrated like, like a heel would get frustrated at his inability to put away like the plucky baby face. Mm. I mean, I know they're not playing like face heel, but they're working into like, the dynamic that the crowd are giving them. Yeah. Uh, it's just more a case of, God, this dude's good. Yeah. This is really yeah. good. Even what though, have I got to do? Even though Tenru is the underdog, it's not given as like a David and Goliath situation. You're no. quite more I use this I use tennis quite frequently, I suppose, but I guess because of how the, the past decades worked. It's not so much David and Goliath as it is like Federer against Murray. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like a guy who's exceptionally good, but just happens to be around when one of the greatest of one all of the, time yeah, is there. Guy is God tier. I mean, Jumbo Saruta throughout the 70s and 80s was so highly thought of by the NWA that there was serious talk of having him be the travelling world champion, like the only Japanese wrestler to really be suggested as such. You know, he was, ah. he was, in, he was in the mix with the, your Harley races and your, and your David Von Erichs and your Ted DiBiase's, you know. So I guess, like, with those last I could see two, that because he has presence. Yeah. He has that presence. And he was treated with respect. He was treated as a great wrestler when he won the AWA Heavyweight Championship from Nick Bockwinkle. That was a big deal. And, you know, he beat him fair and square and ultimately held it for quite a while, I think, before losing it to Rick Martel. Um, But yeah, he's just, you know, Jumbo's just clearly extremely good at what he does and works so well for for such a big guy as well. Yeah. Um, He's never looked clumsy. No, no, he's a fantastic athlete, you can tell. Yeah. Um... 
But yeah, I mean, the crowd just builds to a fever pitch with these matches. And like when Tenru hits a powerbomb and it goes for a really long two count, the crowd is going absolutely bonkers. <laughs> it's just like, what do we do next with yeah. it? Uh, I've got my last note coming up now for the match. Have you got anything that for the, for the match itself that you've written down? Um, for the match itself, I've just... It's the fact... There's a bit of the match where he goes... He meaning um ten uh, jumbo, he like he's like stomped on um sorry he meaning jumbo getting getting them mixed up now, uh he's just stomped on Tenru's head he's like hit a second rope knee drop yeah and um he doesn't get the pin and then he just rolls up with two more knee drops straight to the back of the head mm. and if it was a pump like oh, if it was a pump you just got this image of like. Jumbo just stamping on like watermelons, pumpkins, and just looking like like completely like caved yeah. in. But that's a man's skull, yeah, and he's still surviving. It's it's a face face dynamic where one person will play the heel face. Like, yeah, you know, Bret Hart was fantastic at doing that in like uh, matches against like Diesel at the '95 Royal Rumble, or against British Bulldog in my favorite ever match at SummerSlam '92, where he's ruthless, but he's not cheating. No. He's just doing what needs to be done. Um, but then he's got enough edge to him that that allows Tenru to be the babyface so that when Tenru hits a second powerbomb and gets the pin, the crowd lose their minds. And it's a huge, you know, it will... I mean, that must rank as one of the greatest moments of Jumbo, of uh, Genichiro Tenru's career. And just a little fact for you, actually, about Tenru. Uh, he is the only wrestler... To have recorded pinfalls over both Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki. Really? A little fact for you there. Nice. Well, actually, I guess we should give you a little bit more about Tenru because this is the last match that we'll see with him. Because a year later, he does what is so often the case with the Japanese promotion. He gets fed up of not being the top star and so just goes off and forms his own promotion where he can be the top star. <laughs> um, well, he did it twice, actually. He initially formed uh, SWS Superworlds of Sports, uh, which was trying to be a more sports entertainment version of Japanese wrestling. Uh, they formed a relationship with the WWE, and Tenru did have a relationship with the WWE for the next couple of years. He had a match at WrestleMania 7, where he and uh, Koji Kitao beat the, uh, the latter version of Demolition in a very throwaway minor match. Okay. Um, and then they co-promoted a series of ma- series of shows in Japan soon after that. And then Tenru returned to take part in both the 93 and the 94 Royal Rumble. Uh, in 94, he and the Great Kabuki were essentially henchmen for Yokozuna, getting involved in both the infamous casket match, uh, where about 15 people got involved, and The Undertaker ascended into the heavens, where he became Marty Jannetty for a brief period, <laughs> and, and um, attacked Lex Luger before he made his big uh, arrival at the 94 Rumble. Um, so yeah, SWS fell, fell apart, but then he formed WAR, Wrestle and Romance, where he was a top star for, from, for the rest of the 90s. They were the clear third place promotion but they still had some good stuff they had a fantastic junior heavyweight division at the time likes of ultimo dragon chris jericho lance storm gado jado made their sort of big one of their first big impressions as part of that promotion was Um, that more sports entertainment based as well yes yes but not as ridiculous as uh, as like he'd learn as like hustle (laughs) or anything like that oh no hustle is mental yeah um 
And then when that sort of fell apart eventually at the start of the late 90s, early 2000s, he then sort of drifted around all the promotions. He was in New Japan for a few years, had some fantastic matches, won the IWGP heavyweight title briefly, uh, beat Kijimuta for it at the end of 99, then lost it to Sasuke at the Tokyo Dome. So he main evented pay-per-views, main evented big matches at the Tokyo Dome, January 4th matches at the Tokyo Dome. Um, and then when all Japan sort of nearly collapsed, when Noah made their big exodus, he returned in 2001 and started feuding with the likes of Toshiaki Kawada, his former pupil, as we saw in the previous match, and really one of the only two natives to stay with the promotion. And Kijimuto, where in 2001, and he was at the age of... So in 2001, he was at the age of 51... He had a match with Kijimuto for the Triple Crown Championship that was voted the Wrestling Observer Match of the Year. Okay. Oldest wrestlers take part in a Match of the Year winner for Wrestling Observer. And I must admit, when I looked old Tenru, one of the things that bothered me was he seemed quite stony-faced. And I don't think that applies to this match in particular. He's great no. selling throughout the whole match. Uh, really getting across the, the struggle and the pain and the perseverance that he's trying to get. Three. Just scratching to stay in it, basically. Yeah. And he was wrestling. Yes, go on. Go on. <clears throat> One of the things I always say about like wrestling is it's um, a game of two you- halves. <laughs> it's a game of two halves. No. Um, when people tune in, if like you, if if people are tuning in for the first time, a really great match allows them to pick up exactly what the characters are. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can understand the story of this match very easily without yeah. knowing what the Japanese commentators are saying, without knowing the history of these guys, or even knowing what the significance of this newly created championship was. Yeah, it's like about five minutes in, you pretty much understand mm. everything they could have well, they could have been conveying in like well crafted out like vignettes, storylines, what the commentators could be saying throughout their previous matches. It's all it's all there, it's just yeah. in simple psychology, facial expressions and body language. There may be historical significance that we're not picking up on within the context of the match of like a particular move being reversed or a particular submission hole being applied that that, that leans back to their time as a tag team or maybe, you know, mm. one of them using the other one's trademark move that we might not know as well, but we get what the match is. We get who is yeah. the underdog and who is the dominant. It, again, it helps that Saruta's a few inches taller than Tenru. And um, don't forget... In terms of like our series, we've recently been spoiled by following two like Rick Flair, Flair Freds through mm. to their like conclusion. Yeah, well, like, that'll be the so... next episode as well. But yeah, <laughs> we can't escape that man. Escape. <laughs> um, just also a book ended by attempted handshakes by Saruta. Now Tenru refused it at the start. I think it's just because he didn't want to like give some sort of psychological boost or something to. Yeah, him. he's just in the zone. That's yeah, how it just, looks. Yeah. In the at the end of the match, he's on his he's on his ass in the corner, and Saruta's standing over him looking for a handshake, and it doesn't come, and he just kind of claps and then walks off and waves to the crowd. I don't, yeah. again. I don't think it was Tenru like fuck you. I think it was Tenru who was like, I don't have the energy Gee, to, to shake your hand. <laughs> to shake your hand right now, and he's like Saruta even like. That's how I interpreted it anyway. Uh, uh, to me, it could have been like, oh, I've won. Like I don't want any more to do with you, kind of thing. You're not going to hog any more of the glory. This is yeah, the moment. yeah, like um, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair thing. 
Yeah, and Tenra is like, ah, I'm not, I'm not. Saru is like, and Saru is like, nah, it's fine. Like, I know, I know who I am. I'm comfortable. Like, I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Well, they would face off. Yeah, they would face off again for the triple crown very soon afterwards. Um, uh, yeah, they they face off again for it a few times. Saruta will win it back in '89, and then it's thought it was really dominated by Saruta, Stan Hansen, and Terry Gordy after that because Tenru left. And we will pick up that thread in a couple of episodes' time. But Simon, I think this is I'm fine with this for this match. Other than the last question, would you give this match five stars, Simon? Uh no. It's very good, but no, mm. no. Um, I don't know. It's a tough one because there isn't a lot. I haven't criticised the match at all. Um, it just there's a little bit of X factor. You know what I mean? There's just a little bit of something, just like a little bit of an intangible that was just preventing it from being five star. I'm not sure. I can't think- put my finger on one specific thing, but. Do you think if you were a long-time All Japan Wrestling fan watching it at that point, you'd think it was like, if you were aware of what a five-star match was, you would say that's a five-star match? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Maybe that is the intangible, but it's a very good match. Yeah. Um, again, I'm, I'm the more and more of these um, we do, the more and more I'm warming to Jumbo Saruta, and this is a great example of a great babyface versus babyface match, and Jumbo plays a very good part in it. As does Tenru. It's it's just really good, but it's not five star. Okay. How about uh, yourself? I, I won't quite, but I do think it's exceptionally good. So you're sort of on the precipice, like yeah. I am. I think I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm on. I'm. You know, I, I'm not going to give it a rating, but if it's not five stars, it's probably going to be as close to five stars as you can get. Is there any? Because I'm rates. just trying to find out for myself as well, because I can't. As I say, I'm. I'm. Spe- I'm laying it on an intangible what do you think is stopping it from being a five star in your I don't mind know. i don't know maybe another five minutes of tension but that's just because of how we're conditioned subsequent to this match like a match going 20 minutes is a big deal maybe a bigger deal at that point than it is now where we you know where we associate japanese heavyweight title matches with going 30 35 40 that's a fair point essentially that this was the launching pad for people to improve upon it yeah you know what i mean okay it's like, you know, like, n- the great moments of, like, Terminator 2 special effects. Now, mm. they don't look as... They still look amazing, but they don't look as good as other versions of CGI. But they were the first instances of CGI looking great. Yeah. So or not in footballing terms. Like, so if you're watching it in 1991, you're like, how the hell are they doing this? Whereas now you're like... Especially if you don't appreciate the history, you can be a bit dismissive of it almost and i'm not being dismissive of this match Mm. it's like it's like if five stars was not just about quality within our perception of how we look at wrestling but within historical significance this could be a match you could definitely champion for five stars on on a different level it's like when i see a lot of classic like i just watched frankenstein the 1931 version for the first time the other day the boris karloff it's alive okay and it's kind of not dull, but it's differently paced. It's it's very short. It's only seventy minutes, um, and it's not you know you're not going to put that up against something like um, Hereditary, and it's not going to stay yeah. like Hereditary does. But without this, maybe we wouldn't have got a Hereditary. 
So yeah. does, does that mean that when you rate it, should you, you know, it's like, look, star ratings are inherently stupid. So it, no, it depends what you want star ratings to represent. If you Especially, want to say someone, again, in some bit is, of subjective Like, like if someone wants to know at. about the history of Japanese wrestling and all Japan wrestling, this would be required viewing. And yeah. that's, what, that's, what, that's what the star ratings existed for. To give you an idea of you should watch this match. That was why it existed for tape traders to start off with. But yeah. we'll, we've covered this already in, in, a, in, the, in the introductory episode and everything. And in, so. again, in that sense, it is something that is required viewing in my mind for people yeah. who don't know a lot about how good Japanese wrestling can be in the late or if 80s. you just want to watch a really good wrestling match from 1989 while Hogan and Randy Savage were fighting in the Trump Plaza Hotel, you know? And and Hulk Hogan's kicking out of a top rope elbow drop and shaking his head all around the place, you know, which is a great match as well, but very different. Shows where Indeed. Japan was compared to America. Anyway, we, we we must stop ourselves from having this sort of argument, philosophical argument, every time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this can be kind of a, a pencil mark we put. Yeah, under. it's not like it's the central. Pre- well, not the set. It's not it's the central not really, premise. But but... Yeah. Um, but anyway, if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Uh, free for the amount of belts that was competed for in this Triple Crown match. Uh, okay. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Arnie. N for nuclear bombs being dropped by Skynet. <laughs> See, the lazy part of me always goes when you go A for something. And then I'm just in my head, I've got, well, how about N for not that something? <laughs> I'm getting there eventually. Episode <laughs> 93. Um, episode, uh, a for Arnold, N for 93. <laughs> that's, the, that's my Twitter handle, Facebook. You put an at gmail.com at the end of it. That's my email address. Let's box everything else. We have a show email address of lmtyspod at gmail.com. Um, so for our next episode, we are going back to the NWA, and we're going back to it's still 1989, and Ric Flair is still having five star matches, but it's not against Ricky Steamboat. This time, it's against Terry Funk. It's in New York, not New York City, but New York State, and it's the first gimmick match of this list. It's an I Quit match, so no titles, just pride on the line. So you got that to look forward to. But until then. My name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time until the next time.